This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining. On today's episode, we have a lot of news to get to. And in particular, we have earnings news. A lot of companies in your portfolio and in mine are reporting earnings this month. For example, on the 13th, which is tomorrow, JP Morgan is reporting their earnings. Now, JP Morgan is one of these companies that has done phenomenal over the past five years. It's up 145%, not counting dividends reinvested, which it's a big dividend payer as well. So that would only accelerate the compounding of this company. And just in the past year, since the COVID sell-off, it's up about 69.6%. So this company's doing really well. It's at all-time highs. And I'll give you my opinion on what I think is going to happen after this earnings. And we also have news that Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, has doubled down on his thoughts on Bitcoin being worthless. And this has garnered a lot of media attention. The Bitcoin people have been very upset by this. The crypto advocates have been very upset. They're memeing this. They obviously believe that Jamie Dimon is wrong. So I'm going to give my thoughts on this and more importantly, get more context to what he's actually saying. Because titles like this, Jamie Dimon says Bitcoin is worthless, is really about one third of what he says. If you get the whole context of what he says, it completely changes his statement. It changes the whole meaning of it. So we're going to look at the entire statement in full in this episode. Now, on the 19th of this month, we have another big company that's reporting earnings. And although Netflix is not in my dividend portfolio, Disney is. And both of them are making big streaming pushes right now. Netflix almost gained 40 million new subscribers in 2020. But this year so far, it's only gained around 5 million, a little over 5 million. And they're projecting 3.5 million this quarter. This is a very, very important quarter for Netflix. In fact, I think this is the most important quarterly report of the entire year. And I'm going to explain why in this episode as well. Now, after Netflix reports earnings on the 19th, the next big company we have reporting earnings is Facebook. And they're reporting on the 25th. Facebook has repeatedly said that the changes in Apple's privacy policy and their ad tracking is going to negatively affect their business. And in this report, we're going to see how much. So far, it's been hearsay and third-party predictions and analysis. And in this report on the 25th, we're going to see how much. And then last but not least, we have Visa, the global payment network, reporting their earnings on the 29th of this month. Now, Visa is tied into digital spending. As the global economy evolves and more people move from paper spending to digital, this company should do better. It should continue to grow its revenues. But I'm a little bit concerned about this company, and I want to go over my concerns in this episode. So we have a lot to jump into. As always, if you enjoy this type of content, you can hit the thumbs up button. If you don't enjoy it, you can hit the thumbs down button. Either way, it's your choice. They're both there. You can hit either one. Also, just on a side note, if you want to join a Discord community of investors and see a lot of exclusive content, long form AMAs, we have hours of content there, as well as get access to Qualtrim, which is a dividend tracking software. You get a free trial for a couple weeks if you join today. That gives you some time to try it out and see if it's something that you're enjoying. Now let's go ahead and do a quick update on my personal portfolio. This is the passive income account. 
If you're new around here, this is a dividend growth portfolio that I track every single week. So again, if you want to see the updates on this on a weekly basis, whether it turns out good or bad, whether I make money or lose it, I'm going to be showing it every single week. All you have to do is subscribe to the channel and follow along for free. Now, before we jump into all of these quarterly reports and the news, I want to just mention something, and that is that even though we look at these quarterly reports of these businesses, I think it's important that we still keep a long-term focus. The most important thing you should be looking at is where are these companies going to be in 2030? Where are they going to be 10 years from now? It's okay to look at quarterly reports, but I really think keeping a long-term perspective is absolutely key in having good returns. So keep that in mind when you're looking at quarterly reports. It's easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day news and be frightened out of good companies because they have one bad quarterly report or they have one bad piece of news within the report that gets reported on by the news media and then it gets blown out of proportion and you get shaken out of a good long-term holding. Be consistent with your investments. If you bought into a company for the long term, make sure that you're selling it because of good, rational reasons, not because of fearful news being driven by the media. Now, let's go ahead and jump right into the first quarterly report. This is coming up tomorrow, and it's from JP Morgan, the big bank themselves. My prediction is the earnings report will be really good. JP Morgan has been in good shape. The economy isn't really struggling as much right now. There's not as many loan losses to take on. So I see no reason that this bank will do poorly. Plus, JP Morgan is more diversified than most banks. They have commercial banking, they have retail banking, they have investment banking and a big wealth management service. JP Morgan makes money in a few different ways. The concern for me personally with JP Morgan is not the quality of the company, it's just the current valuation of it. I don't think that JP Morgan right now is necessarily a good deal. I don't think that it's it's undervalued to any extent. The company has done very well over the past year and even over the past five years. If you're factoring in dividends, this company has had incredible performance and it makes sense that investors give JP Morgan a premium. It's better than most banks. But having said that, JP Morgan trades at a price to book value of 1.93 right now. 1.9. That seems very high. That's quite the premium even for JP Morgan. Now compare that to Citibank. The price to book value for Citibank is 0.78. So Citibank is trading underneath its book value and JP Morgan is trading almost double its book value right now. There's a huge discrepancy. So if you're buying JP Morgan, you're paying an enormous premium for the quality of JP Morgan. We can also compare it to Ally Bank. This is one of the more modern, faster growing banks, but it still only trades at 1.18. So Just keep that in mind that right now, I believe that JP Morgan is probably above its fair value. I think that it deserves to trade at a premium. I realize the quality of the company, but this isn't the time that I personally would be dumping money into this company. I'd probably look at this one again if it traded down into the 140s. I think it's a little bit more reasonable there. Now, the big news about JP Morgan that has caught everyone's attention is the CEO continues to believe that Bitcoin is worthless. And he said this repeatedly. He said it a long time ago, and then he repeated this statement just recently. This has been reported and memed, and a lot of people are saying that he's an old, washed-up boomer, and he doesn't understand. He's just not with the times. But you know what I think might be fun for a change? To get his entire context of what he's saying. Not just a snippet taken out of context, but to get the full context of what he's saying. I know that that's a little bit different than what the news media does nowadays, where they just take little bits and pieces of things people say completely out of context. But in this case, I think it might be fun to look at. So let's go ahead and listen to what Jamie Dimon actually says about Bitcoin. I personally think that Bitcoin is worthless. 
But I don't want to be a spokesperson. I don't care. It makes no difference to me. I don't think you should smoke cigarettes either. You know, but now it comes into like, okay, that's JB. Now, JP Morgan. I, our clients are adults. They disagree. That's what makes markets. So if they want to have access to buy or sell Bitcoin, you know, we, it's hard, we can't custody it, but we can give them legitimate, as clean as possible access. That's the full context of his statement there. And I do think that it changes things a little bit, because when you see headlines like this, Jamie Dimon says Bitcoin is worthless, it comes across as if he's going out of his way to attack Bitcoin, that if he's making some big, bold statement that he's declaring Bitcoin is worthless. But then when you actually look at the clip, that's not the way that it comes across at all. He's being asked about Bitcoin personally, and he says, I don't know, I think it's worthless. I'm not buying any of it. It changes the entire dynamic of this statement. Jamie Dimon is not declaring Bitcoin worthless. He's just sharing his personal opinion when he's asked about it, and he qualifies that by saying that he doesn't want to be the spokesperson. It doesn't really matter to him. He doesn't own any of it, but that's just his personal opinion. Now, for me personally with Bitcoin, I feel a little bit differently than Jamie Dimon. I don't necessarily believe it's worthless. I said that it's not a productive asset. And some people that are invested in Bitcoin take offense to that because they are assuming I'm saying that Bitcoin is worthless because it's not productive. That's not what I mean by saying it's not productive. I don't consider cash to be productive and I don't consider cash worthless. I don't consider gold to be productive and I don't consider gold to be worthless. Productive assets are ones that have employees. They have payroll. They have people earning money. They have people growing revenue and profits. So for me, I've always had a big focus on productive assets. I like earning money as I sleep. And so far, I remain a little bit unconvinced by Bitcoin, but I'm still remaining open to it. I still study it. I look at it. I'm trying to form a better investment opinion on it. But as of right now, I just have too much fun investing in these dividend paying companies. I think it's too easy. Now, moving on, on the 19th of this month, Netflix reports their quarterly earnings. And this is one that has a lot of divisive opinion, a lot of varying opinions on the company. There's some people very bullish. There's some people that think that the story of Netflix has come to an end as they have so many other competitors. I'm far on the side where I'm very bullish on Netflix. I think that Netflix will continue to keep its competitive advantage. I think that the flywheel of Netflix propelling its subscriber growth will continue into the future. And I think that the metrics in general of this company are phenomenal. Now, the company does trade at a premium. This is one point of argument amongst investors is that Netflix is at a $277 billion market cap. This is a big company, a very big expensive company. But even saying that, I think this company is only going to get bigger, both in terms of subscribers, market share, and market cap. I think this company will get bigger and bigger as it continues to consume legacy media. Now, the biggest point of concern for Netflix investors is the slowing subscriber growth. We can look at the streaming membership quarter by quarter, and you can see the story playing out here. Netflix was growing very quickly for year after year, and then in 2020, the growth exploded from 167 million to 203 million. That is massive subscriber growth in one year. But then Netflix's subscriber growth started to slow down and it hasn't been quite as impressive in 2021. In their last quarterly report, they actually outlined their subscriber growth by year. And you can see this playing out. 
2020 was a unique year. Obviously, it benefited Netflix, so it makes sense that their subscriber growth slowed down early this year. On top of that, much of their production was halted. In their last quarterly report, Netflix said, as discussed in previous letters, COVID-related production delays in 2020 have led to a lighter first half of 2021 slate. By lighter first half of 2021 slate, they mean that our content hasn't been great. That's a way of saying we don't have a lot of good shows out the first half of 2021. They say that that will build through the course of the year. So they're saying all their good series are going to come out the second half of this year, which is now. And you're seeing that happen. And now you're seeing the stock price reflecting that. When we have a lot of breakout series and comedy specials and blockbuster movies coming out on Netflix, now the stock price is surging. In just the past couple months, it's up 21.5%. Netflix's stock was already in an upward move before Squid Game was released. And then Squid Game was released, causing this stock to have even further support, more analyst predictions of outperform. And I see Netflix evolving more to a Disney strategy. They're now looping in key series. They're selling lots of merchandise. This is something that they seem to be leaning into more over time. And just a heads up, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of these pink costumes from Squid Game this Halloween. Now, and just in terms of predictions of the stock and my take on it, Netflix themselves are forecasting 3.5 million subscribers this quarter. So that's what they're projecting as their paid net additions. And they better beat this. If Netflix does not beat this measurement, I think the stock's going to drop 10 or 15%. That's my prediction. But I do believe strongly that they'll beat it. So I'll give them a 90% chance of beating their internal forecast. And I'll say that if they don't, I think the stock will drop 10% or more. Now you can haggle over the price of Netflix. It trades at a 49 Ford PE ratio or a 64 trailing PE ratio. So the PE tends to come down over time. Back in like 2015 or 16, the PE ratio of Netflix was like 400. So it continually comes down as this company grows its earnings like crazy. But one thing is for certain, the company is growing and almost every metric of this company is moving in the right direction. The revenue growth is consistent and it's insanely fast. You can see it quarter after quarter increasing. The net income of the company is increasing exponentially. The free cash flow is moving from negative to positive. Netflix's massive debt pile that a lot of analysts thought would be the doom of this company is starting to decline. They're actually paying down their debt. So the whole story of the debt crushing this company is not really coming to fruition. And while their debt's declining, their cash balance is growing. Now, Netflix's dilution has been a cause of concern in the past. A couple years ago, the company had 429 million shares outstanding. And then quarter by quarter, they increased that amount. 434 million, 436 million, 438 million. They're diluting the shareholders by issuing new shares. But recently, with their excess cash, they've actually started to move the other direction. From Q1 of 2021 to Q2 of 2021, they decreased the shares outstanding. It went from 443 million to 442 million. So now Netflix is no longer a diluting company, they're a share buyback company. And the earnings per share growth of Netflix is incredible. It's in that process of having its breakout earnings per share growth. It looks very similar to the likes of Amazon or Tesla or any of those other companies that have almost no EPS for year after year as they grow their company, aggressively expand, gain market share, and then it's the time to flip the switch and become profitable. They're in the process of flipping that switch and you can see that and the dramatic rise of their EPS. So Netflix resembles one of those companies to me that on paper looks very expensive. If you look at the PE ratios and the price to sales, it looks like a pricey company, 
but I do believe that in 10 years, looking back, it'll look cheap at this price point. I think it's going to be one of those stories yet again. Now, after Netflix, we have Facebook reporting their earnings on the 25th of this month. And Facebook faces a slew of challenges. One of them is the ad limitations on iOS devices. Apple has came out and made privacy a huge focus, and they've given users the option of limiting tracking, making it so that Facebook can't track you from app to app. And the majority of users, the huge majority, have opted in to not allowing Facebook to track which means that some ads may be less effective. And this is one big question that's gonna be answered in their next report. Now, in my opinion, the whole debacle between Apple and Facebook is not that important. It really isn't. I don't think it's something that's going to affect Facebook over the long term in a very harmful way. I think the bigger issue Facebook's facing and one that investors really have to consider when making this a large position in their portfolio is the branding of this company. Branding is important. And right now, Facebook is being branded and maligned as a harmful company similar to Big Tobacco. In my opinion, I think this is a serious threat to Facebook. This is their entire company image being aligned with Big Tobacco. Social media seriously harms you and others around you. That's the claim that many are making right now. There's even analysts now saying that Facebook faces legal risks similar to Big Tobacco or Oxycontin. Whether or not you think it's deserved, they're the ones receiving the criticism. They're the ones being branded as bad for children and similar to Big Tobacco. And this is branding that I think is going to be very difficult for Facebook to shake. Here's Gene Munster giving his opinion on Facebook and its fallout. I'm, I'm sad to report as someone who believes that Facebook, Instagram is toxic to our mental well-being. I'm sad to report that this is likely going to blow over. When Gene says two things there. One, he says that he believes that Instagram and Facebook is toxic to our well-being. So he's in agreement with a lot of this criticism. But he also says from the analyst perspective that this is very likely to just blow over. This company is Teflon or Zuckerberg is that theme resonated with me and uh, in part, and I'm just going to boil it down to its most core pieces, uh, what uh, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, what they have is a global directory. This is something that is uh, not even close to being replicated by, you know, it's 5x bigger than the next biggest uh, global directory if you put TikTok as one of those. And so as an investor, uh, you can't replicate that. And as an advertiser, you, can't rep you cannot uh, replicate that. So Facebook has their global directory five times the size of the next closest. Nobody can replicate it. Now, I don't believe that Facebook deserves the same P.E. ratio as Microsoft, but I certainly believe it deserves a higher P.E. ratio than what it's getting right now. A 23 P.E. ratio is very low for a company growing this fast. So my prediction on Facebook's earnings later this month is that it's going to be impressive. I don't believe that Apple's iOS changes are going to affect them as negatively as people are expecting. I think that investors in the future will look back in this point in time as a very good buying opportunity. Now, lastly, we have Visa. This company is reporting their earnings on the 26th of this month. Now, given the fact that Visa is basically a monopoly, they have a massive network effect, they share it with MasterCard, they trade at a 38 PE ratio. So this company always trades at a premium. The revenues grow at a very consistent pace as long as consumer spending is strong. You can see that it declined in 2020 as people cut back on their spending because of COVID. Now, in terms of a dividend payer, Visa is a very consistent one. It's going to be paying dividends in the long-term future, 
but its starting yield is a little lame. It's like 0.5%, so don't expect this one to be paying you a lot of cash flow. Visa is a company that, although it's historically enjoyed a massive monopoly, I see the potential for this monopoly to be disrupted over time. I'm really starting to believe that there's a a case that Visa and MasterCard may not enjoy the same monopoly that they've enjoyed for the past couple decades. For instance, Visa's building out their own buy now and pay later to counter the threat from PayPal and others. Visa also unfortunately had their deal with Plaid fall through. This was something that was making me very bullish on the company. This could have been a massive growth path for Visa, but their deal to buy Plaid eventually fell through because the company during 2020 became rapidly worth more. Visa's initial deal was to buy them for $5.3 billion, and just a little bit later, they were worth $13 billion in private equity. So Plaid made a good decision exiting this deal, but Visa missed out big. Now, Visa's historically been one of these companies that almost always beats their quarterly projections, and I assume that they will this next quarter. I assume it's going to be a good report. But this quarter is not what I'm really concerned about with Visa. What I'm concerned about is the broader picture of this company. There's so many payment offers and payment solutions right now. There's so many different companies doing networking, whether it's through PayPal, Venmo, or the Cash App, whether it's through cryptocurrencies. There's so many companies getting into this space, offering different ways of moving money around. As this space of global payment solutions gets more and more crowded, I'm going to try to keep track of whether or not Visa continues to keep its monopoly. Because as soon as I don't believe it's going to, I'm going to be selling out of this company. But as of right now, for me, Visa's a hold. So that's my thoughts and predictions on the upcoming earnings. And again, even though I look at these companies on a quarterly basis to see how they're doing, most of them I want to own for a decade. That is the goal, to buy into companies, not do much with them for over the course of a decade, and just sit back and let them earn me money. In the stock market, you don't make money when you buy, and you don't make money when you sell. You make money by waiting, and that's what I plan to patiently do. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you in the next one.